talking about bold love. And we're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to the first chapter and flow into chapter 2. And I really believe it's a timely message of all these, the letters that were sent to Asia Minor, to the churches, seven churches of Asia Minor. There were more churches in Asia Minor than those churches. So it's in a prophetic sense that these letters were sent to these particular churches. I believe that the information shared by the Lord telling John to write these things and send these letters meant that Jesus the Revelator, wasn't John the Revelator, Jesus was the Revelator. John was the Recorder. Jesus is the Revelation. He's the Revelator. And so he begins to reveal to John to write these things in this letter. And I want us to just go to God in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, right now, Lord, we pray over ourselves, God, that we receive a word from you. The Holy, Holy Spirit, may you go and speak to us individually and specifically. Lord, just minister in a mighty way to each and every one of us here. And I pray, Father, anybody that's in this house today that is away from you, has a broken relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that today before they leave, they will become restored and renewed. Oh, Lord, you can do it. Holy Spirit, you're doing a great work today. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 through 20. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first. Say the first. I, let's do that. You did that good. Let's say it one more time. I'm the first, the first. The first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I like the fact he didn't just say he's alive. He says, I'm alive forevermore. It's never, condition will never change now. I'm alive forevermore. The work is finished. I died on the cross and rose from the dead, ascended up on high. The plan of salvation is done and over with. And he says, I'm alive forevermore. I, I love that kind of guarantee and assurance. If you ever bought something from someplace and ordered it, and then all of a sudden the item, you need a part, you need to get something, and you contact it. First of all, the company is no longer in existence. Second of all, the, or either the, the thing that you bought is no longer being made, and so therefore you can get no parts for it. I've got an incredible weed killer sprayer. But it's been discontinued, and I can't get it to work. And so now I've got a great big container full of, of uh, a weed kill, and it, it really looks nice on the cart, but I can't get it to run. So it's kind of, you know, so I'm just telling you, sometimes we can come up short because either the company no longer exists or the item is no longer manufactured. It's been a limited time only. We didn't know that when we bought it. But we should have that kind of horse sense to realize that something's not going to stay and remain the same. And so, you know, we're in the throwaway culture right now. Just throw it away and buy another one. But I'm so glad that we have a Savior that is forevermore. A King of kings and Lord of lords forevermore. He says, I, which am alive and dead, and now I am alive forevermore. He says, forevermore. Wow, that's good. Praise the Lord. And, and after that, he says, Amen. It's settled. 
right, here, let's go further. And I have the keys of hell and of death and write the things which you've seen and the things which are, the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand in that chapter and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Then in verse 19, he emphasized, I want to emphasize this verse 19. He tells John, he said, John, he said, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Verse 19 is a breakdown or the mapping out of the book of Revelation. Because it says, the things which you have seen, we've seen in chapter 1, the glorious Jesus the revelation of the glorious of Jesus, we've, the glory of him, and we preached on that for a moment. And so it, he said, the things which you've seen, John, and John saw Jesus and his glory and power and strength shining as the, as the strength of the sun, feet like brass and eyes like fire and hair white as wool and a gold sash around his garment that went down to his feet, and we talked about that. So chapter 1 is the things which you've seen, John, that's the mapping out of there. The glory of Jesus in chapter 1. The things which are, which are the letters that are going to be sent to the churches. And then the things which are to come, which is covering chapter 4 through chapter 22. So uh, this, this is a mapping out. Jesus is telling John, this is what I want you to write down. Write, write down about what you see, my glory. Write down about which, those things which are, which is going to be the letters to the churches. And the things that are going to be, which is going to be the rapture and the kingdom set up and the Antichrist and everything that goes through from chapter 4 to chapter 22, these things are going to happen. Going to happen. With God, you always have a future. With God, there is an anticipation for the future. It's never just live today. And, you know, I think the, isn't it the unbelievers and the ungodly say, eat and drink today for tomorrow we may die? But to God's people and with Jesus Christ, there's a future. And the Lord has a future for you. A future of forevermore. A future to be with him forevermore. A future. He's got plans for you. Amen. Let me tell you, if you feel like your life is a train wreck, then get more of Jesus. Because Jesus will put order in your life. Jesus will direct your life. Jesus will let you know that there is a future and an expected end for you. And that you can anticipate the future and look forward to the future. And build on today what's going to happen tomorrow. And know that the Lord will take over your life. So I'm just telling you, some of you might feel like your life is a train wreck. You just need Jesus. Amen. You just need Jesus to be the engineer of your train, and that train won't ever get off the track. He'll, and if you do mess up some, he'll straighten you up. All right, well, that's a little sermon in within a sermon. But then in Revelation 1, 10 through 11, Paul, uh, John says, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first, there's that, the first. The first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
The letter to be sent to the first church in that list is what we're going to flow into in chapter 2, talking about bold revelation, but a bold love. And in that list of churches of Asia Minor, it's found in chapter 2, the first church Jesus mentioned. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden golden lampstands. We know the stars are the ministers, the angels, the the pastors, the ministry. You know where we're at, guys? You know those of you who are in ministry? You're in the hands of Jesus. He's holding you and taking care of you. You stay true to him. He will hold on to you. And he'll guide you. You may feel insufficient, but his sufficiency takes care of our insufficiency every time. Praise God. I can't tell you what kind of guy I'd be if I didn't have the hand of Jesus holding me. I can't tell you what kind of a messed up pastor I'd end up being if I didn't have the anointing, the sufficiency of Jesus flowing into my insufficiency and changing me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, even in your own personal life? Yeah, uh-huh. He's got you. And then he says that he who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands, he's walking among the churches. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Don't get weary, saints. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you, this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nickelodeon. I want to say Nickelodeon so bad. <laughs> Nicolations, I don't know why. I like Nickelodeon. It's a nice channel TV. But every time I see that word, I want to say Nickelodeon. And if I really got excited, I'd probably mess up and say Nickelodeon. Then I have a lawsuit against me by Disney. I don't know, but, but the fact is, is it says here uh, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolations which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The first that is mentioned in Revelation is to God's people, and it's for positioning. In other words, a positioning above everything else first. It is not to be replaced by something else. It is first. I always thought it was interesting in our numerical system that after we go through the the first lineup of numbers and first row, we start the 1 and we go to 10. How many here can know your numbers 1 to 10? Raise your hand. Some of you need to go back to the first grade maybe or just go on YouTube it'll teach you how to count you know teach how to do anything I was actually watching today how to throw a dagger how do you throw a dagger and the first word was carefully 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the only one to have a Band-Aid on his finger probably because it got me, you know. But here we go. But first, in our numerical system, that after we go through the lineup starting 1 to 10, that the next lineup of numbers starts with 11. Where did 11 come from? And not with 1T1. You ever wonder about that? Why isn't it 1T1? But it's 11. Go ahead and ask it on Facebook. Somebody give you an answer. Post it. Why is it 11 and not 1T1? <laughs> I haven't lost my mind. I'm going somewhere here. Why isn't it 1T1? But it's 11. Maybe it's because it is ex it's exclusivity of a singular number one. There can only be the one, the first, is one. The first, it starts with one. Then it has to start the next row with 11. It changes over, why? Because there's just the one. Now there's the 21 and the 31, but those numbers are before the number one. So it is, there's only one at the beginning that is a start. First, that word is used in Scripture and Revelation first. It is defined as being before all others with respect to time, order, rank, importance. First, it is, the, is used as the ordinal number of one is first. First number, one. Whole number, well, now we can go into the decimals and it's less, but a whole number is first number is one such incredible love god's given toward us that you and i have a responsibility in the relationship that we have with jesus christ as he gives to us our our as as he gives to us our actions as he begins to bless us how many here have experienced the love of god how many have experienced god just involving himself with love in your life that as he gives to us, our actions and how we live should be as though we're saying to God, back to you, God. Back to you, Lord. You know, listen, you have your mate, and if you tell your mate, I love you, and they don't say it back, and they say maybe ditto, it doesn't quite mean as much. You're listening for that cue, back to you. I love you. I love you. God says, I love you. In our actions and our deeds, we're saying, God, I love you. I love you. Listen, words are great, and they're needed, and you need to praise God and thank God and realize and acknowledge that you love the Lord. But your actions and your deeds are speaking back to God as he pours out his love upon you. You just say, back to you, God. Back to you. The letters that sent to the seven churches in the book of Revelation reveals that there is something that God is expecting from us. We need, thank God for grace. By grace we're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. But we have stretched grace so much that we have somehow deformed what actual relationship is with God. That it's all God and none of us. That God, you got this. And none of me, I don't have anything to do with this. That's not a relationship. 
It's not fulfilling the full cause of the love that's being poured out to you and the grace of God. You go back to you, God. Back to you with your grace, God. With the light that I live, may it bring glory to you and honor to you. Somebody say amen if I'm really on cue here. I believe I know what I'm talking here is that we need to get back into relationship mindset with God. That God wants to have a relationship with us and be with us. And we have something to give back to him. Yeah. And so here in the book of Revelation, the letters of seven churches, it's, it's telling us something that God is expecting something from us. He's expecting something from us. The book of Revelation opens around in the year 95 A.D. John, the last of the original 12 disciples, is alive, and he's an old man, and he's been pastoring the church of Ephesus. During this time, there was an emperor called Domitian. Even his name reeks with dominance, with the word dominant, but Domitian. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He was the first emperor of Rome who demands to be worshipped as a god. It's in Ephesus that a large temple complex is built and dedicated to Domitian. It had two gymnasiums, which were used for study and philosophical discussion. And it's interesting that on each floor of this complex, there were columns that held up the floors and several floors. Then at the top of the building, the top was a platform. It was a temple to worship Domitian, and there was a huge statue of him on top. The columns that held up the structure each had the heads of Greek gods, reeking with idol worship. So Domitian's statue was literally being held up above the Greek gods. He was above them all. His statue was so huge, it was estimated that it was approximately 27 feet high. You look at the ceiling and go seven more feet, and it will be 27 feet. It, it was positioned so that whether you came by, sea, uh, by land or by sea, you'd see the statue of the great Domitian. It's almost declaring as... That temple was that he was saying, I'm not the king of kings, but I'm the God of gods. But he was only one of the many gods that worshipped in that city. Another one was called Artemis. Of all the Greek gods, there were so many gods and idol worship there in Ephesus. But because Domitian is living and a ruling Caesar, there's a special connection because... He could visit them, and he did. Ephesus was the center for Domitian worship. So at various places along the streets, there were altars for him where people were to stop and acknowledge him as God. In fact, this was enforced, and those who refused could be punished. This is the city where the church of Ephesus is located. You know what I believe? I believe America, I don't know if we're going to get better. 
I don't know if things are going to get worse, but I will tell you the church of Jesus Christ is getting out of here. Okay? There's going to be a people who's going to love the Lord so much that we're going to say, back at you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter what the world says, no matter what social media says, no matter if they decide to cancel me, I know, Lord, that I'm a child of the King, and I will never deny you. He's going to have his church. Are you a part of it? Are you a part of it? Now, here it is. In Ephesus is the church that John's pastoring. With that environment, it's no wonder this holiness, Holy Ghost preacher filled with the Spirit of God would be in the way of culture and would be exiled to the Isle of Patmos. There's just, I mean, it's just obvious that he would end up on that island and be in exile. And of course, we know at Patmos, on that isle, John receives a vision from Jesus in all his glory. He tells them to write letters to the seven churches in the region. And the first letter was to the church of Ephesus. Remember in the last chapter in verse 20, Jesus tells us, he talks about the seven lampstands or the seven churches. And we see Jesus walking among those golden lampstands in the midst of them. He knows them. He cares for their situations, their successes, and their failures. Jesus knows what's going on with his church today. He knows what's going on with the people who make up the Rodney Pike Church of God. He knows it and he walks among. He knows what you, what's going on with you personally. He commissioned his church all over the world. He's commissioned his church to share the life-saving message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. The fact that he's walking amidst them and shows that he not only knows and cares, but he takes the business of his church seriously. Let me ask you this, this question. Do you take the business of church seriously? You and I are called to be the church. That you and I are to be and to share the light and take the message of Jesus into the dark and dying world. He wants us to take it seriously. And do you believe this? That the church of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. We are the only hope for this world. They need Christ. They need a Savior. They need to know Jesus. And we're called to shake and shine, to, to allow us to become salt and light to a world that is bland and lost in a world that is dark and groping. We're called to go out to the world because I'm telling you that we are called to be the church and we're to take it seriously because we are the only hope in this world. Do you think about that sometimes when you go to work and you see those people around you that you know are lost? That you're the only hope of what you possess for their life, for eternal life. Listen, I'm telling you, I know I'm trying to be sobering here, but what an awesome, awesome thing God's placed upon us. That he could use us that way and have that type of confidence with us to win the loss and win the world. Now, let's look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered, telling the, the Ephesians, and have patience, and I have and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. 
Jesus shares commendations and compliments to them. As a matter of fact, in all the churches, he shares a positive message to them and that he commends them in some way, form, or fashion. He commends them all. And in the letter sent to Ephesus, he says to them, first of all, he says, we see that we can find in the word that they're hardworking church. They're diligent in all they do. They work hard. Secondly, they're a persevering church. They live in the city with rampant idolatry, street altars to worship Caesar, and with the risk of consequences if they don't, and they will, they, they will receive persecution if they don't worship. Evidently, they stayed true to the Lord and didn't participate, but yet still existed under extreme circumstances and pressure. You know, I feel pressure rising around me. Do you? I mean, it's really kind of a pressure thing like it's not so favorable to be a Christian. You could be everything else, but don't be a Christian. I think they just want to bring down the big dog. They want to bring down the truth. The devil don't care about falsehood. He cares about the truth. And so he attacks the church of Jesus Christ because of truth, that we really are an enemy to him. And I'm glad. I'm glad, you know, I'm a type of guy, I like getting along with everybody. You know, this is why pastoring is so hard for me. I like to just love everybody, give big group hugs, and, you know, get all loving and understanding and, and good and stuff, but I find out that I can't really do that that much because sometimes, you know, people are just people. But I've found that, you know, in that, that, that God would, he works in this that we can love people and love one another. But the thing is, the thing is, is that we have to be devoted to him no matter what. The world says you ought to be a certain way. The world declares and says you're a racist. The world declares and says that you're stupid. The world declares and says that you're a part of something that's dying. The world says and declares you're, you are so small-minded, closed-minded, you know. Can I get an amen out of that? If you call yourself a born-again Christian and if you live like one. Now, if you don't live like one, you don't get any pressure. You're kind of like, and there's no such thing as undercover Christian. I'm an un undercover agent of God, and nobody knows it, including the Lord. It doesn't work that way. You're a, you're a street cop. You're on the beat. You've got a star. You have clothing. You've been marked by favor. You walk with authority. There's no such thing as undercover. And though the world may hate you, it doesn't matter because you have been commissioned by God. You've experienced the love of God. And because his love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God including myself, including myself. Now, they, 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 they were devoted doctrinally. He said there are those who come and said that they were apostles, but the church didn't just open the arms and welcome them. No, they tested them to make sure that their teaching was sound. And when it wasn't, they refused to tolerate with them. Oh, <clears throat> you ain't no apostle. Out the door. Fourthly, they were a church that resists and even hates sin. 
You can go down to verse 6 and see, but this, you know, they hated sin. He said, but this you have, Jesus said to them, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were supposed to be believers in Jesus who compromised their faith in order to enjoy sinful practices of the day. Clement of Alexandria, said, a theologian in the second century, said this of the Nicolaitans. They abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. They were a sect in the region who practiced impure acts. Now remember, Jesus is walking among the lampstands. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're up to. He knows if you're a Sunday Christian or if you're a bona fide Christian and that you're serving the Lord, he knows whether or not you love him or not. He knows whether or not when he sends love to you, if he hears back at you, Jesus, he knows it. And so here, he, he said here, he said, these, these Nicolaitans, they were, they were people who didn't live the life. They lived a, a life of pleasure, practiced impure acts. Jesus said he hated their practices. Now, did you know, you know, hate's a pretty strong word. Do you ever stop your kid from saying hate? Ooh, it just bugged me when I hear that word hate. Does it bother you when you hear the word hate? You look at your kid and say, hush your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, I know you don't like green beans, but you don't hate them. Yeah. But hate is a strong word even for Jesus, you know, to say, I hate but the word hate, it is a strong language, especially from Jesus. But notice he didn't, he didn't hate the people. He hates their practices. Did you notice how he phrased that? I hate their practices, the Nicolaitans. So the church of Ephesus is, they're hardworking, diligent. They have a timeless, a tireless perseverance, even in the face of hardship and persecution. They are devoted doctrinally. They resist and hate sin. Man, it sounds like a pretty awesome church, doesn't it? To Ephesus, we see something here in this letter. One great promise found us here in this letter is that if you have lost your first love, you can return. Oh, I, I, I see Jesus all over that letter. Uh, you, but one thing I hold against you, you've lost your first love, but he's saying, but you can return. It's not too late. The opportunity's there. That's what I want to tell you today. You may be living a life of sin or a life of a backslider that's drifting away from the Lord. Let me tell you today, it's not too late. Jesus is calling you and says, you know, this passion, this love relationship, this relationship you had with me before, it can be even greater right now if, if you will just do these things and turn to me. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't close the book? The books will be closed one day and it will be a final time where there is 
no way unless you're in the way. But I will tell you, the way is still open today. Jesus still opens the door today. Salvation is for today. Don't put it off. Turn back to him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by him. He will bless you and love you like you've never been loved before. How many here knows what the love of Jesus is all about? Oh, yeah, you wrecked, messed up individuals. Uh, you misfits, you failures, uh, you broken down pieces of human flesh. Jesus Christ took a hold of me and he gave me his love. He gave his love to you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to everybody in Galilee, to all the whole world. He loves and he desires to save. You know why we don't sin? Because we want to say, back at you, Jesus. Back at you. you. You give me love and say you love me. Back at you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. Though I will tell you the flames of hell is quite a convincing element to not live a sinful life, but truly the motivator. You have found the love of Jesus. And you just wouldn't want to let him down. That's what the church of Ephesus was like. They knew all the moves and the practices, but somehow or another, somehow or another, something had happened. They were just going through the motions. The Ephesian church people had become only a shell of what they used to be. Relationship with Jesus had become like human relationships that have grown worn out and tired. We often think that the opposite of love is hate. But I think the opposite of love is apathy. It's not hate, it's apathy. Apathy means the absence or suppression of passion. Lack of interest in. It's like stoicism, where that there's a freedom of emotion of any kind. But when you have apathy, you, you, you no longer... You suppress the passion. There's a lack of interest in the Lord. I've seen it happen so many times where people become apathetic with Jesus. They can even go through the motions and become very, very religious. You know, that's what religious people are, what it is. Religious people isn't... It, when a person's religious or a religious fanatic, it's not that they have too much of Jesus. The problem is they don't have enough of him. They got all the motions... All the programs, all the trimmings, all the trappings, all the appearance, everything on the outside, but something's missing on the inside. Although the Ephesians loved the Lord, they had lost the spontaneous sparkle of their love for Him. You know, that's easy today when everything going on and all this stuff, my gosh, is bombarding our brain and all this information, all this of what's going on and, and stuff and listen the pandemic is real but don't let the pandemic control your life totally don't let fear grip in and, and say I'm going to take over you don't, don't and, and I've seen many good people fall in their grip of fear fear is a spirit the Bible says uh, uh, mentions fear is a spirit so that attitude that spirit get a hold of you you need the Holy Spirit to counteract that fear, fear that spirit of fear 
So it will counteract and remove that spirit of fear. Only the Holy Spirit, only the love of God, only knowing Jesus and his love. Jesus gives us a prescription as to what to do in verse 5. There's, there are three words that stand out. I'm going to, let me see if I got in my notes, or I'm just going to have to go read. Let me read it. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He gives a prescription as to what to do in verse 5. Three words stand out. The first word is remember. Remember. Think back to the earthly years, the early years of your life, of your relationship with Jesus. The love and gratitude that you had to him. The thirst and hunger to know him more. You wanted to be in his presence and you wanted to study and read and worship and pray. Your friends and family saw a change in you in the early days. You found courage to share the good news of Jesus around your family and your friends. Jesus tells them and he tells us, remember the place from which you've fallen. And when you see where we are, it helps us to realize where we are. When we see where we, we were, it helps us to realize where we are. Remember. Remember. Remember the, the life and excitement you had in Christ. The Lord hasn't changed, we have. And the Lord can turn us around if we repent, if we remember. If we remember, and then he says, and repent. Repent is to turn from the wrong way where you are and turn to Jesus. His way to follow him, making him the first love, one, the first love in your life. It's the change of direction and attitude to remember and to repent. Lord, I don't want this anymore. I'm sorry, Lord, I repent. Not only do I confess of my sins, but I turn around. I'm not going to live that life anymore. I'm not going to be that way anymore. I just repent and go in an opposite direction. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's repentance. Listen, we would like salvation to only be the confession, but no repentance. We'd like to say, I'm sorry, but then never have to try and go a different way with the Lord. Can I, can I hear an amen about that? It's like, we'd like to confess of our sins, but then the, Jesus says, then follow me. Follow me in the direction I'm going. And he said, there, he said, remember, repent. And then the third thing he says in verse 5 is, do the things that you did at first. He says, do. So remember, repent, and do. Let me tell you, if you're trying to get back in a relationship with Jesus like you should, that's the formula right there. Remember where you've fallen, what used to be, and how God worked in your life, and let the Holy Spirit use that remembrance in you. Then repent of the old life or what you picked up in the garbage along the way and repent of it. Turn away from that lifestyle, the stuff you picked up, the things you started taking, the things you started drinking. Turn away from it and stop. And repent, and then do. Do the first works over. Go on and start doing the way of life. Start living the way of life that you know you ought to live. Then I'll tell you what, Jesus is going to give you the power and the strength to be able to do. Isn't it wonderful that God didn't, doesn't just leave it up to us, but the Holy Spirit moves in. The moment we repent and we pray, we remember and repent, and here comes in the Holy Spirit. 
And he comes in like the strong man and locks arms with us and says, you know what? You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. The power of the Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. We need to remember, repent, and do. We need to love is as love does. It's what you do is, is the love language. You go and have a relationship or marriage with your spouse, and you tell them you love them, but you keep on doing the, the despicable things you do. The talk is just not going to matter. It's the doing. Love is an action word. It's not just an expression. Which brings us together to another question. I'll close with this. What happens if the need to repent is heated? If someone says, yes, I repent. Yes, Lord, I hear what you say. I remember. I repent, and I'll do. What happens if we heed that? Jesus says it in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Praise God. Praise God. He. I love it. I love how this is not just plurally focused like a church, a body, a group, an organization. When No, he shifts it and makes it personal and individual focus when he says, he doesn't say if the church has an ear, let him hear. He says if he has an ear if a person has an ear to hear even if the church isn't willing but you are the Lord will meet you where you need to meet him at and he will reward you and give you eternal life and he will be with you oh I, I don't know why that old song went through my head we're not going to sing it so don't worry about it. but that blessed assurance Jesus is mine all oh what a foretaste What's it? Heaven, glory divine. I'm not going to go anymore. I could probably get you to start singing and talking it. But blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Jesus is yours. What an assurance you have with him. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, I'm a Christian because I go to Rodney Pike Church of God. No, no, no. You're a Christian because you have Jesus. You have Jesus. Yeah, yeah. How many here are glad that you have Jesus? How many here this morning say, Pastor, I want to get back my first love. I want to make Jesus number one. I want to make him one. He's not going to be one to one, but he's going to be one. He's number one. He's first. He's first. Then he says, I'm last, so he's everything in between. So Jesus is everything to you. How many here believe Jesus is everything to you? How many here want your faith to be strengthened where that you exercise and live a life that Jesus is everything to you? Raise your hand. As a matter of fact, won't you just stand to your feet as the worship team is coming? And I want us to give the Lord honor and praise that he keeps us. I want us to praise him for his grace and his love. Listen, we wouldn't have love for him if he hadn't first loved us. He reached down and he took us where we are and were and he raised us up by his love. And I'm so glad that he loves me. I don't know why. I would have broken up with Ron Bynum a long time ago. I would have told him, hit the road, Jack. You just ain't worth all the trouble. Failure upon failure, mistake upon mistake. But he's not like that. 
He says, Ron, I'm still in love with you. Ron, I still care for you. Ron, I'm not going to forsake you. Ron, I will help you. Ron, I will strengthen you. You don't have to do it alone. I'm in this with you. Aren't you so glad that you can put your name in there and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm so grateful that you're with me. How many here this morning say, Pastor, 